Thank you, Monty, and good morning to everyone. I am uh, I'm always thankful for the local church, for God's people, but it is in times like this last week that that gratitude goes up. It rises because there's nothing like the church where God's people can both grieve and care for and celebrate all at the same time with great hope. So great stuff uh, so far this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 5 as we continue to teach through this great, great book. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. You and I weren't alive in 1865. But a guy named Lewis Carroll was, and he was a math professor at Oxford University, and he wrote what has become a classic, Alice in Wonderland. Anybody read some Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. Uh, Translated into 174 languages, one of the most popular uh, literature pieces ever written. And if you remember, Alice falls through what is called the rabbit hole into a fantasy world. And at one point, the queen said to Alice this, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. So if you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as you have been running. That quote, when I read it, I thought, man, that's the story of our lives. Busy, 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 busy. And as we are running fast, here's what we know. There's something in us. I've been there. We know if we do not give attention to the important things, they begin to decline. We see it in unimportant things, like our garden, but that may be important to you. You don't give attention to your garden like I did last summer for a week and a half. Boom. Eat up with weeds. We don't pay attention to our bodies. I can testify to this. It gets ugly quick. (laughs) I, up until two years ago, I was walking around in my second trimester for about 10 years. (laughs) And far more important, if we lack in giving the needed attention to our spiritual lives because we're so busy. There's no doubt that our relationship with God and others will suffer because in this world, there's a natural tendency toward what? Toward decline, toward corruption, toward corrosion. So in light of this truth, you may remember if you were here last week, Matt Angel echoed Paul's warning in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. And with the dangers that I just mentioned of this busy, busy, busy running through our minds, listen to these words that he taught on. Look carefully then how you walk, not as as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your what? Time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Literally, it says, buying up the time because the days are evil. Now, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that time was fleeting, and as Christ followers, we must live differently 
in the use of our time by intentionally chasing hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are to be mature, if we are to be all that the Lord intended us to be, there's no spiritual osmosis. <laughs> we do not float into godliness. I wish there was because I would lay that Bible under my head every single night and let it just soak in, but it doesn't work that way. So the next natural question is, how? How are we to do this? Are we to walk? How are we to walk in wisdom to know the will of the Lord? That's exactly what Paul teaches us today. Matter of fact, from verse 18 all the way to 6, 9, he is answering that question. And in today's text, we get to see the root power, both the root power, where this wisdom walk come, comes from and how it will directly affect us and even others. So let me read for us classic text, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what Paul has for us today. He has the contrast. We'll see verse 18, the beginning of it. We have the command, verse 18b, and then we'll look at the consequences. So first, the contrast. Let me read verse 18 again, the first part of it. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That is debauchery. It's pretty clear, just with a light reading of this passage, that Paul is no doubt setting up a contrast. One of being drunk with alcohol versus one of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 17, the words, therefore do not be foolish, and then you have 18, do not be drunk with wine. So we, and Paul knows, one of the many ways we as humans can be foolish is to be what? Drunk. And if we are, you know, we also know, based on what Paul says, if we are filled with the Spirit, then we are wise and we are doing what the will of the Lord is. Tony Evans said this. He said, if you're looking for joy and comfort, do not seek it at the bottom of a bottle, but seek it in the Holy Spirit. We could add, don't seek it anywhere else, but in the Holy Spirit. And when I first read this text, just because of my own story, the first thought I thought about was how true it is. I grew up in an alcoholic home. I had an older brother that was five years older than me. Obviously, I didn't know him. He passed away at three months old with a heart defect. And it was then that my mom told me later my dad began drinking heavily. Now, look, I have a lot of empathy for the pain that he was in. But him trying to find comfort in Southern Comfort Bourbon destroyed him and it destroyed our family. Paul is setting up that contrast here. God wants us to experience joy though. 
The issue at hand here is where do I find joy? Paul tells us it's not in the bottle. So the contrast is southern comfort versus the comforter, which is another name or synonym for the Holy Spirit. And every time, just a little bit of survey here, every time drunkenness is mentioned in the Bible, and let me say, the Bible does give us leeway to drink, but it has strong warnings. Go to Proverbs 23 about those who do. So there is an allowance and there is great warning. But anytime drunkenness is mentioned in the Bible, it's, it's ugly. Noah, Jen and I just read this in our Bible reading. Noah got drunk in his nakedness and acted shamelessly. The Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 10, I believe it is, desecrated the Lord's table by being drunk at it. Being drunk in the Bible is always associated with wild living and immorality. Here's how 1 Peter 4 puts it. I'm summarizing. The time of you living in sensuality, drunkenness, is in the past. It's foolish. It's a waste of your time and life. It's in opposition to Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 about using our time wisely. So Paul here is contrasting two lives. Don't get drunk with wine or be controlled with alcohol, but instead be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit. We know this. We know that alcohol literally changes a person's disposition. Now, I know none of you probably even know what I'm talking about, just a sprinkling of you. But if you have some awareness, you know that the fearful become what? Fighters. Amazing. I got it weighs 112 pounds. He's ready to whoop everybody when he gets a few glasses of beer in him. The non-intellect becomes a philosopher. The shy become boisterous. Non-singers like me can become singers. <laughs> Cowards become courageous. Liquid courage. Henry Thoreau said, when I read about the evils of drinking, I gave up reading. <laughs> and I get the last, I get all that. But at the end of the day, drunkenness controls us by producing acts of the flesh. And in Galatians 5, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, for these, the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. He goes on in Galatians 5, and he continues, sort of hear the details of this contrast, this contrast of a life that is controlled by alcohol and a life that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's the contrast, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, historically speaking, the roots of Greek, Roman, and mythological religious systems 
actually were grounded in or the foundation of the religious system was drunkenness, believe it or not. The belief was you could commune with God via the ecstasy that alcohol provided. Drunkenness and paganness actually go right along together. And speaking of the Ephesians, very particularly who he wrote this book to in their culture, many of them worshiped the Greek god I'm going to try to pronounce it here, Dionysus. Dionysus was the reborn child of Zeus, so-called, and Dionysus became known as the god of wine. The Romans worshipped her too, or him too, sorry, it's a him. I want to be clear, it's a him. And, but the Romans worshipped him too, but they changed his name to Bacchus. And the Bacchus. Bacchalinian feast was named after him. It was the great Roman drunken feast. So, so Bacchus or Dionysus was known as the jovial, jolly god of wine. Matter of fact, Bacchus in Rome even had, um, even had his own temple covered with grape vines where the entire focus was drunken worship. So at the end of the day, Paul was saying to the Ephesians and to us, drunkenness is not only a social issue, but a theological one. Paul is saying, I know that many of you tried to commune with God through alcohol, but I'm telling you the only way that you can really commune with God is through his Holy Spirit. Drunkenness makes a life, makes life a series of, of missed or wasted opportunities. It does exactly what Matt talked about last week. So I ask you, it's called foolishness. So I ask you this morning, if you were totally honest in the midst of your pain, and we all have it, and this week was a great reminder, where do you go? may not be alcohol, but where do you go for comfort? Paul tells us it's through the Spirit of God to comfort us. So we have the contrast, pretty clear to understand. Secondly, we have the command. Look at the second half of verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, I thought it was important before I teach what this command means I need to sort of tell us and remind us what it doesn't mean for clarification. It is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes at the moment, the very moment we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the third person of the Trinity. He is a person. He comes into our life and he comes to our life in fullness, meaning we don't receive more of him later. So that's clarity. Ephesians 5 says, baptized by one what? Spirit. Secondly, it is not the sealing of the Holy Spirit that Paul talked about in Ephesians 1, 3. Again, at the moment you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit not only indwells us, but he seals us forever as God's child. And that sealing is a guarantee that you cannot lose your salvation. The role of the Holy Spirit is many things, like to convict us, to encourage us, to lead us, to teach us, to show us truth. 
But the, the, the issue here is if you know Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of Christ lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Matter of fact, Paul writes in Romans 8, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not what? Belong to Christ. D.A. Carson says there is no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit of God. So, that's what it's not speaking of when it says filled. Having said that, the first thing I want you to notice is that in verse 18b, is it is a command. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It is a command for every single Christian. Secondly, what does the word filling mean? we got to figure that out if we're going to understand what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Literally, it says be being kept filled with the Spirit. It's not a one and done for the rest of your life. It's a moment by moment of continuous filling. More on that later. It's passive in the sense that it's something that fills you meaning you and I don't fill ourselves. It expresses this idea of this, again, this moment-by-moment continual work. This Greek, Greek verb to fill is pronounced pleiru, P-L-E-R-O-O. It, it gives a picture, if you would, of a wind, of wind filling a sail to cause the ship to move along or to be carried along by the wind. It's a beautiful truth when we think about it, to be carried along by God via his spirit, just like the writers of the scripture, Peter says, 2 Peter 1, who wrote their scriptures were carried along by what? By the Holy Spirit. Field also is used many times to communicate uh, this thought, to permeate. S like salt permeates food, salt adds flavor and the Holy Spirit wants to add flavor to your life. And the flavor it wants to add to your life is not grape or orange. or It's, he wants to add the flavor of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But by far, the most used, the most profound use of this verb to feel or filled means to control. To be controlled by the Holy Spirit is what Paul is saying here. A life controlled by God via his spirit versus a life controlled by alcohol or our flesh. There are only two options for folks. Matter of fact, sanctification, the growth of maturing in Christ could be described as a life that is more and more and more over time carried along are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Luke 4.1, you may remember, or I think it's John 4.2, maybe Matthew 4 as well. Uh, I think it's in all through his gospels. But in Luke 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or to be tested by the devil. Remember that scene in your gospels? And it says Jesus was full of the Spirit. So being full of the Spirit can also mean being led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. In addition, the Bible does teach if you and I are not controlled by the Spirit of God, if we're not led by the Spirit of God, moment by moment, we can also grieve 
the Spirit of God. And again, you can't grieve a non-person. It is a he, not a thing. So to live out the ethics that Jesus and Paul, and, and you know, we've been talking about in Ephesians 4 and 5 in terms of the practical applications of our position in Christ, Paul is saying you must be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do otherwise. Being full of the Spirit means you are seeing God clearly in the midst of whatever your circumstances are, and you are responding the way he himself would respond. It is an emptying of me and you and a filling of him. You say, Jeff, that's good, but I need some help. How are we filled? And if you're like me, you would like to give a three-step rote program process, and we go one, two, three, check. It doesn't work like that. But let me lay out, if you would, this picture, this, this in some ways it's a process, but I want you to get the heart behind it of how you and I are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit indwells us, right? We don't lose the Spirit. It doesn't come back in us. It indwells, it seals us, so it's there. So how do we allow him to control us? I want you to notice again, it's a command from God, so you don't need to beg him. Please, Lord, please. No, he wants to do this in your life. It's a plural command to the entire church. It's saying none of us are to get drunk and be controlled by alcohol, and all of us are to be filled with the Spirit of God. This is not just for elite Christians, although part of what happens is as you mature, the Spirit of God controls more of you. Thirdly, it's a passive command. I mean, it says, let the Holy Spirit fill you. There's no ritual or formula. Here's what we do know. You need to turn and confess all known sin in a surrender of your will, in a surrender of your life, and yield it to his control. That's not a bad daily prayer. Lord, I wake up this morning, my natural instinct is to be in control of my life. So I say to you out loud, I am not in control. Control is a lie. I don't have control. You own me. You bought me. You control me. And I yield to that. Whatever happens today, I yield to you. I surrender to you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk like you. And I want to respond like you. It's not a bad place to start our day. And here are the things that are keeping me from experiencing the great forgiveness and then confession of sin. One writer says it's the death of self, the crucifixion of self. We die, he feels. A necessary part of this lifestyle. It's more of a lifestyle versus a moment. In Matthew 26, Jesus, it's a great illustration here, says this. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his crucifixion. He said, in going and little father, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here it is, not as I will, but as you, what? Will. 
That's a picture of surrender, of yielding to the Spirit of God, even in the most difficult circumstances. And then let me bring a parallel text in, I think. It was very helpful to me. I think it will be helpful to you. You can write it down. Well, it's actually in your notes. Colossians 3.16, this parallel text of Ephesians 5.18. Here's what it says in Colossians 3.16. Now, remember, Paul is in jail. He wrote both of these books from the same prison, but to do two different audiences. And so here's what he says in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What does that sound like? That sounds like the verses following Ephesians 5.18, does it not? And if you go on and read the rest of that chapter, you see it talks about husbands and wives. We're going to talk about husbands and wives. It talks about everything that Ephesians 5 to the end of the chapter talks about. They're, they're mirror passages. So, being filled with the Spirit, catch this, is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, deeply, to be controlled by the Word of God, to be dominated by the Word of God. It's got to be the same because it produces the very same what? Results that we're going to look in in our last point. You sit down with the author of the Word of God and you place yourself under the Word of God. You yield your life to the Word of God. You daily feed yourself. David said, where can I feed on God? It is in His words. You feed yourself with the Word of God with a posture of humility as if you're meeting with a person because you actually are. <laughs> It's not, okay, do my Bible reading, check, check, check. No. It's also a present tense command. It is not a one-time event. We do this over and over and over. Matter of fact, as we grow in Christ, this becomes our lifestyle, right? This consistent feeding of the word, yielding to the spirit of God, transforming our minds and hearts about how we see all of life. But Spurgeon put it this way, he said, no man ever became holy by chance. There must be a resolve, a desire, a panting after obedience to God by the word of God or else we shall never have it. I love what Martin Lord Jones says. It says, if you don't make time for your spiritual wellness, you will be forced to make time for your spiritual sickness. Oh, it takes time. It is the use of time wisely, as the previous verses say, that we must meet with God to feed on his word, to dwell richly the word of God in Christ and to allow his spirit to reshape us, to remake us and to yield to that. At the same time, dealing with sins as they come. As a matter of fact, the quick question is how often should we confess our sins? Well, the old country preacher said you confess them things as you does them things. Short accounts with God. So the question for point two is, are you 
moment by moment, yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit via the Word of God? It's a great question. And it will, how you and I answer that question and live out that question changes everything. And lastly, there are consequences to this contrast. There's consequences, good consequences to the command. There's results, verses 19 through 21. The first consequence of being controlled by the Spirit we are told is speaking and singing. As the Spirit of God reveals to you and I the indescribable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can just go to Ephesians 1 through 3. As he reveals that to us, how you and I speak to one another, because it said dressing one another, and how we sing and what we sing changes. It all starts from the heart, because if it doesn't come from a heart that's affected by the work of God on our behalf, it's just dry, it's just rote, it's just pumped up emotions. Read the Psalms sometime, many of those Psalms. At the start of the Psalm, the writer is overwhelmed by their despair and circumstances. But by the end of the Psalm, simply by them rehearsing the great news of God's grace and faithfulness, at the end of the Psalm, there's joy and praise simply because they have reminded themselves of really Ephesians 1 through 3. It's not only making melody to the Lord from our hearts, but we make melody to each other. We speak to each other, and we sing to each other, and we sing over each other. As Kevin Perry has said many times from this stage, we sing a reminder of who God is and what he has done. So I ask myself the question, what is it that we speak and sing? We're going to do it at the end of the service this morning. But again, Ephesians 1 through 3, the great mercies of God, of the gospel for sinners, yes, that we are adopted, that we've been bought with the price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are in Christ and nothing can take us out of Christ, that he is faithful and we're faithless. Look, the truths of God in the gospel is what we sing and speak to one another. And I, I got news for you. If you don't like to sing, there's a good chance you won't like heaven. <laughs> Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people, and nation, oh, we need to speak and sing to remind ourselves and others why it's so important. Here's how Bonhoeffer, why Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred for his faith, said it was so important. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. Satan does not fill us here on earth with the hatred of God, but the forgetfulness of God. One way to not forget God is to speak and to sing each, over each other. Second results or consequences from being filled with the Spirit 
is saying thanks. Monty talked about gratitude this morning. Verse 20. Monty already preached this point. It was powerful. But it's good stuff. We have all, we have all kinds of great places, as you and I know, to get help with our addictions, do we not? I mean, as Alcoholic Anonymous, there's every kind of anonymous you got to help us work through the struggles of sin this side of heaven. And I love those places. But I think my proposal, maybe to the elders, maybe I can get Phil Herndon, our resident counselor, to help me with this. I want to start a new one from scratch. It's called Grumblers Anonymous. <laughs> Man, and if we did... Every single one of us would need to show up on a daily basis. Check in. My name's Jeff Patton, and I'm a grumbler. Yes, thank you. You know how it goes. Now, as a reminder, Paul in Ephesians 5 has already mentioned this, this, this word thankfulness in contrast to immorality, impurity, and greed and filthy talk. And now he brings it up again because he knows how prone you and I are to wander from gratitude and thankfulness. Think the Israelites, all that he did for them. And over and over in the Old Testament in Exodus, it says, and they grumbled and they murmured. And then, yum, 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 yum. It is a lifelong battle to cultivate a grateful heart in all things. One writer said, Thanksgiving is almost a synonym for the Christian life. If we're to be anything, Christ followers are to be thankful. In the midst of, even as we talked about this morning, in the midst of our hearts being broken because of sin, and we need to hear me on this. We can, at the same time, we must, at the same time, grieve the great losses that we experience this side of eternity and give thanks for who Jesus is, what he has accomplished via his death and resurrection. Those two things are to go on simultaneously. John Stott put it this way. To the extent that we grumble, we are not living under the Spirit's control. Paul says, say thanks. And I want us to remember, let's not forget who actually wrote the book of Ephesians. Paul did. He didn't give thanks for most things. He gave thanks for all things. And the Greek word for always, always means always. Paul practiced what he preached, exulted in his trials, knowing that God was using them to produce perseverance, proven character, hope, and a longing for heaven, Romans 5. In Acts 16, he sang songs of praises to God when he was illegally beaten and in prison, and he's in prison as he pens the letter. And certainly, I would think, if anyone deserved entitled treatment, or special treatment, it was certainly the Apostle Paul, right? If I'm thinking the way I think sometimes incorrectly, I'm thinking, man, as Paul aged, all the beatings he took, all the traveling he did, at least God could set him up with a condo over the Sea of Galilee, right, for his last few years of life. Not true for Paul, not true for us. Remember Ephesians 1.11 that Paul wrote? 
where God says he predestined us according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Her main source of comfort, one of our main sources of comfort, no matter the trial, major or minor, is that our Heavenly Father is sovereign and in control. We can thank Him for that. And lastly, Jen and I are reading through the book of Job. Just read through it. This is how Job responded. Though He slay me, I will praise Him. Speaking and singing. Saying thanks. A result of being filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, here's the evidence. Number three, submitting. So in our old nature and in the world, it's all about us. It's me, 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 mine, 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 and in toddlers as well, right? That's how we naturally are bent. Paul says here, nope, that flips on its head when filled with the Spirit. It says, submit to one another out of fear and reverence for Christ. It's hard to do, but I think it's easy to describe. Again, John Stott, I love how he puts things so succinctly. He says, we lay aside our rights and humbly serve one another in love. Hard to do, easy to state. Remember, Jesus had authority over his disciples. But what he did was he laid aside his rights and authority. His authority was still intact, but he laid aside his rights as authority and washed their feet. And he said this, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. It's a competition to outserve one another. The perfect model of this certainly is the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally God. They play different roles, and in that there is no rivalry or jealousy. They're pointing at the other. This is my Father. Jesus speaks greatly of him. God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my what? Son, who I am immensely proud of. Paul puts it another way. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with a humble mind, there it is, filled with the Spirit, regard one another as more important than yourself. This is a great passage in the sense that it gets us thinking, not having this choppy spiritual walk with God. I get up twice a week. I spend 10 minutes and where I say, Lord Jesus, help me today and move on. No, 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 no. And we're thinking about our time and that we look at our schedule and we say, I'm going to make consistent time to meet with the Lord Jesus, to sit at his feet, to yield my life and mind and heart to him, to fill my mind and heart with the word of God, to richly dwell in that so that I live the life that he lived. It's a great, great passage. Now, the so what this morning is twofold. One is to do at home. This is what I want you to do at home. I want you to, this week, think about your schedule. Think about when you can meet with God to surrender, to make this lifestyle of sitting under the Lordship of Christ, of walking with him, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be carried along by the Spirit of God, to begin 
to begin living different than you're living now with your time as it relates to meeting with God. But secondly, the second so what is stand up. I want you to sing this morning. I want you to, if you need to, close your eyes. I want you to sing, to think about God's great mercy and grace to you, all that he's done for you in Christ, all that he's doing for you in Christ, all that he will do and guarantee for you in Christ. But as you do, I want you it's fine to think about you, but I want you to sing it in such a way that your brothers and sisters in Christ walk out of here and they're reminded too and they're encouraged too to chase hard after Christ. Sing with us this morning.